All right. Good morning, New City Church. My name is Pastor Adam. Glad that you're here. And if you're brand new or especially want to welcome you, uh, thanks for joining us at New City. And thanks for being here, Shalene. We're really appreciative of everything you do and I'm grateful for the update. So um, Nathan's looking at my uh, PowerPoint. So Chad, it's me and you until, uh, until we get that figured out. But we are in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel in your Bible. And so we've, we've, we've established a couple things. Well, if you want to turn there right now, we're in John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's give Nathan a round of applause for all the tech support that he does. He's a wizard. Okay, so we're in John's gospel, and we've sort of just begun. We're going slowly through the very beginning of his gospel. And as we've moved along, we've, we've uh, learned that Jesus is the word of God, God's message to mankind in a man. He also is God himself. And then last week, we talked about Jesus is the light. He's God's goodness and truth manifest in a person. So Jesus is all of these things. God has a word for humanity, and it is a good and hopeful word. We've learned that in just the first five verses. So what we're going to tackle today, verses six through nine, is going to establish for us, okay, God is trying to say something to us. He has a message for us, and it has to do with his son, Jesus. And it's a message of hope that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. How do we generally get this message. So here's our passage for today, and I've circled and highlighted words that I would call, these are John words. These are big, meaningful words that he's going to use again and again in the gospel. So this sermon could have went any one of at least six different ways here, um, uh, but, but we will tackle in some way each one of these words as we go through the gospel. The point of the passage, though, is, the point of verses six through nine is, John is telling us about a witness that came. Somebody, now, now Jesus is the word of God. He was, he was before time. All things were created through him. That gets to be really heady stuff. And then by verse 6, John tells us, one time God sent a man, a normal person, a human being, as a witness to talk about the story of Jesus. So we're going to talk about that word and the witness of, of John. So I lived in New York for a couple of years, um, and uh, when, we, when we lived in the city, this sign or something like it was all over the city. If you see something, say something, tell a cop or, or call that number, right? And I never, I never did that. And my friends from Iowa who think the, of the New York stereotype as, it's, it's a, was that really really dangerous? Were you scared ever living in New York? We would see those signs. I gotta be honest, I didn't have a clue what I was looking for. I never called that number. I never saw a crime. I never, I saw plenty of people that looked suspicious, but I, but I never, I never saw anything that alarmed me. Actually, it took moving back to Ankeny to see my first crime. We were, we were, for me to witness a crime where I was like an eyewitness. We were at the cell phone store um, in Ankeny, and I, when I go in there, it's, I'm bringing in a historical relic, and the, the, the 19-year-old helping me doesn't know what he's looking at. But so we were in the cell phone store, and then um, this lady's helping us, and this guy comes. I guess they had some really expensive Bluetooth speakers towards the front of the store. Guy parks his car, sprints in, <laughs> grabs an armful, and gets back in the car. Now, I was a, I was a bad witness because I'm just, I'm just like looking like, what's going on? Is he supposed to do that? Do you guys know him? <laughs> the, the lady that was helping me with my ancient relic, she says, one second, please. And she ran out. She's taking, she's taking pictures of him as he's driving away. He had like dealer tags, called the cops immediately. That was a good witness. And when I got home, I, I told my boys I saw a crime. 
And they, for the next half hour, they asked me questions. And I'm a bad witness. I told you everything. I told you, I just gave you the whole story, everything I saw. The guy came in, he did this, he grabbed two or three and he left. But they really wanted to know, right? So I, I, that, that was a, a good uh, picture for me of um, w- the role of a witness. Uh, if that guy, I don't know whatever happened to that guy, but if he ever gets, gets caught, gets arrested, that lady... That excellent witness is going to be the one that comes in and testifies and points to, it was him. I saw him. I was there. I saw it. And so Jesus here, John, through, through the inspiration of, 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 of uh, the Holy Spirit, John is writing this. Jesus is saying, not only is Christ this cosmic, unbelievably good thing, we have witnesses. There are people that know this and that can tell you about it. So we're going to look at uh, uh, three different things today. We're going to look at what makes a good witness. The good witness is the first thing we're going to look at. Um, Secondly, we're going to talk about the best witness, uh, which is John the Baptist. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the last witness. So we're going to look at the good witness, the best witness, and the last witness. Let's pray, and then we'll we'll, we'll begin at at the first verse and go through nine. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that, um, that you bless us. Thank you that you give us a place to meet and a gospel to meet over. Thank you for this word, Lord. Help us as we, as we dive in now um, to, to hear from your greatest witness, your greatest person to, to proclaim the gospel that was just a normal man, um, John the Baptist. Help us to learn how, what he was witnessing to, what he was talking about, and how we may also be witnesses of this very good thing that you've done by dying on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we aren't too far along. We'll just read the whole, we'll kind of read the build up up through verse nine. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. So let's talk about the good witness. What makes a good witness? So the first thing I want to establish is that if you look at the very first part of that sentence, I don't want to skip over this really important fact. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. So the first, uh, I've got a couple of these just like really basic principles that that you can maybe grasp. The first uh, uh, truth that we find in, in verse six is God sends people. He is in that business. He doesn't want his word to be kept hidden in secret. He sends people. And in this instance, we're talking about one person he sent, but spoiler, he still does this today. He still is sending people. So you see it uh, three times, the word witness. One time it's a noun and a couple times it's a verb. Um, The Greek word is martyreo. Uh, We we would get our English word martyr. Now the biblical authors didn't know what we were going to do with their language, so they didn't necessarily. But but what we did in the English was the witnesses of Christ sometimes would witness all the way to the point of death. They would be martyred for their faith. Um, But the the, the, 
the word is, is, is essentially how we would use the word to bear witness, to give, and especially to not keep back testimony. And the other little note down there at the bottom is if you have testimony, that means you have firsthand knowledge. When I saw those speakers getting stolen, I had firsthand knowledge. I was an eyewitness. I saw it. So I knew something. So, so when, when, when John calls John the Baptist a witness, he's saying he knows something. He's being sort of brought to the stand, so to speak, and to testify about something that he knows. Um, the other thing that we establish here in this passage, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So just one other kind of um, thought that I want you to wrap your hands around. Jesus is the light, and yet witnesses carry the light. So John is bringing something to the people, and it's the light of, of Christ. It doesn't mean that he himself is generating that light, but God allows his witnesses to carry the light, and, and John is a picture of that. So this, this, is, um, this is court language here. Witness, and, and, and it's dipping back into something in the Old Testament. A witness is something we would see in a trial. Um, witnesses don't, much like this, this saying here, witnesses don't make something true, but they attest to the truth of it, right? If they saw something, they didn't make it happen, but they, they can attest to the truth of it. Now, the reason he's using this witness language is because in the Old Testament, the, the laws that Moses had for the people you could not bring about um, an accusation, and especially a capital punishment accusation, without two or more witnesses. And you understand the, the reasoning behind that. Some guy could just hate some other guy, and he says, hey, he stole my whatever, or he did this crime, and there's no other witnesses, and you, it's just he said, he said, or she said, he said, or whatever. So it was a very wise, simple principle. Um, on the evidence of two or witnesses, or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. And this is talking about capital punishment, but that's true with other accusations. Uh, Deuteronomy goes one further, and I think this is wise also. Um, we're not for the, the uh, stoning of uh, uh, people for capital offenses, but this is what the law was back in the, in the old days. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. So if you do come up and testify and say, yes, I saw him do the evil thing. Yes, I saw him do the thing that is punishable by death. Then the, the judge will say, okay, here's your rock. You start us off. So the witness not only is called in to testify to the truth, tell us what happened, the witness is also called to take a side. Based on the truth, not who do you like, what do you want to happen. The, when you go up on the witness stand, you are, you are, you are uh, uh, making your claim, making your stand either guilty or innocent. And you can do this in the positive way too. There's character witnesses where people come up and say he would never do something like that. I've known him all my life, etc. This, this makes its way into the, first, into the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this provision is something still baked into the church that's supposed to protect leaders because maybe one person can get sideways and make an accusation, but once you have two witnesses, then, then, then that goes away. Then, then somebody has seen something that needs to be taken care of. So that's, that's, that's what it was like in the Old Testament uh, and moving into kind of the, the, the beginning of the time of Jesus. But this word witness, it's, I, I want us to, I'm going to spend a little time here because I want us to just grasp the concept. 
It's not too far different from how we would think of it today. Witnesses in trials today. So here's a, here's a civics lesson in 30 seconds. So, um, so our legal system is far more complicated than what they had in the Old Testament. And when it comes to laws and criminal justice, you've got the three branches of the federal government that you know, makes the laws, enforces the laws, interprets the laws. The different, they have their different roles. Then we also have something above us at the state level that would do the same thing, makes the laws, interprets the laws. And then down at the local level, you have your sort of your police force, um, they, 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 the detectives, the people that come onto the, the scene of the crime right away. Then in the middle is your courts, and then um, it's corrections, uh, people who handle the, the, the people who are going through the trials. So if you're a witness, you've got this whole legal system around you, but you really only intersect with that bottom one. You're a witness in the court of law. And even in the court of law, you're not the only player there. There's the judge, the defense, the plaintiff, the jury, there's people watching, right? You, you occupy a very, very small part of the criminal justice system if you're brought in to be a witness. So on the one hand, a witness has a very small job. If you were called into court to be a witness today and you started saying, I don't think we should have a law, that, 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 that they would say, objection, objection, your honor, that's, that's their job. <laughs> we didn't bring you in to tell us what you think the law ought to be. Or if you said, I think, he should, I think he should rot in jail as a witness, they would say, objection, your honor. The witness is not called in for the punishment part. That happens later. I think he's guilty. Objection, your honor. That's not his decision to make. That's the jury's decision, right? So, so when you think about it, the role of a witness is, is beautifully simple. You're not there to talk about what ought to be the law, that sort of thing, you have been brought in to tell us what you saw. Testify to the truth. What did you see? Point your finger at the person in the courtroom that you saw do the thing. Was it him that stole the speakers? Or is it him that, or her that you're vouching for? You were with her on that night and, and you know that she couldn't have committed the crime because you were with her and she was never out of your sight, right? There's a, there's a beautiful simplicity. There's a lot of things as a witness you don't have to worry about. But, there, but on, the, on the other hand, it's a major, major important role. It's incredibly important because if you go in there and you saw something and you say it, that could be it. That's what we needed. We, we, we know the truth is out there somehow, but we brought you in to validate it, to be an eyewitness to it. So, so there is a historical context to what a witness is, and, and, the, and the, the, the Hebrew Bible talks about it. It's not a whole lot different than what, what we would talk about, how we talk about witnesses. Bring them in. Tell us what happened. Tell us, tell us the truth. And so um, they play a small role and a major role. And, and, and as, as you can probably imagine, and John's going to develop this in his gospel, Christians are called to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. You are, you are, you are being brought to the, to the stand, to the witness stand. If you're a Christian at all, any amount of time, if you just became a Christian today, congratulations, you're, you're getting uh, your jury duty papers, your report for duty. Not, no, not jury duty. What is it when, you get a wit when you're a witness? Does anybody know that? Subpoena, thank you, thank you. I didn't, I didn't extend into my civics lesson study. Um, you get a subpoena. You are, if you're a Christian, you are called to be a witness. And the analogy or the, the, the word that John uses, it actually fits really well, doesn't it? If you're a Christian, you are not called in uh, uh, as a witness to pontificate about what ought to be or what not, what not ought to be. You are not to make judgments about any one person or anything like that. When you're called to be a Christian witness, you're, you're called in to 
Come in and tell us what you know. What did you see? What happened to you? Testify. When the witness speaks, that is his testimony. And we use that language in the church. And we use it because Jesus uses it in Acts 1. Now the context here, I know he's talking to the apostles, but he's giving them a task that was too big. The men in that room, in that circle, would never have been able to complete this task. So it expands to us even today in the church. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are called to do just that. Jesus says, you are my witnesses. I'm bringing you forward and you're going to tell what happened. And what is it? What are you testifying to? Well, here's, here's how my testimony would go. Something like this. I was a spoiled and very proud kid. I was, I was fine on the surface. And then at one point, Jesus intersected with my life in a radical way. I'd always gone to church. I'd always been around it. But Jesus Christ came into my life like a light in the darkness. And he forgave me of my sin. And ever since then, I have not been perfect. My wife can give a testimony about that. I have not been perfect, but I have been changed. He changed me back there. I'm telling you, I saw it. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was, I was there. I, I, I was a witness to it. You should have seen who I was before. You should have seen how I'm different now because of Jesus. That's my testimony. And I am called to the stand to do that as a Christian, and so are you. And I'm not talking about at all yet about giftedness or, well, I don't, I don't really feel as though that's, that, that's my particular place in, 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 the, in the church. Jesus calls us to be witnesses to him. This is the gospel. What has happened to you? What did you see? And so here's another just little truth that I want you to grasp onto, and this is really important. It might be controversial to some of you. Christians who witness are not radical Christians. They are consistent Christians. So I'm talking about something that's probably a little uncomfortable for some of you because I would guess maybe some of you do have a faith, you love Jesus, but if I asked you, how is it going with sharing Jesus with others, you'd say, oh, pastor, don't talk. I would love to not talk about this. I would love to have you not ask me these questions, right? But let me ask you, what are we talking about here? I just gave you a testimony of the most radical thing that's happened in my life and the best thing that is in my life. Jesus changed me. That's my testimony. And it's unbelievable. Do you believe that? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you believe that what he's done to you is unbelievable? So why, how is it that, that, that it would be, you would still be a consistent Christian if we bring you to the stand and we say, tell us about what did you see? What happened? And you go, ah, I don't want to. I don't want to be awkward, <laughs> right? So I, I, there was a long, for the longest time, I thought missionaries were these radical super Christians. I couldn't believe they cared so much that, uh, that, that about testifying about the good news that they would go to these crazy places, the Middle East, Myanmar, uh, Lima, Peru. They would, they would move, uproot their families. And I used to think, boy, they're the all-stars. We're like the JV team. They're the varsity. That is not true. And missionaries hate it when you talk, talk about them like that. You know what they are? They're consistent. They saw something. Something happened to them. And when they walk up and they're on the witness stand, they are not ashamed to talk about it. Let me tell you. You want to know what happened? Jesus changed me. And that's what a witness is. A witness is just called upon to tell 
the truth. What would make a bad witness is if one, if you overstep, if you, if you do take on the role of the judge or the legislator, that's not your job. That is not your job. Your job is to tell what happened, to tell the truth. But the worst crime you can commit as a witness is to walk up to that stand and just say nothing. Ah, I'd rather not comment. Or, or, or say what you think you, the jury wants to hear. No, no, that's not your job. What happened? Just tell us what happened. Speak simply. The Apostle John spoke in very simple words. We can do the same. That's what a good witness does. They go up and they tell the truth and they make their stand. I am for Jesus because he changed me. Let's talk about the best witness ever. This is John the Baptist. Um, this is one of my favorite paintings ever. I actually got to see this in the Louvre. Leonardo da Vinci painted it. I like it because he's, uh, you know, John the Baptist is kind of like a rascally character, and he just kind of looks like a rascal. He's like, he's pointing to God. He's like, I don't know, ask him. You know, like, that's just, I just like, I just like that painting. So anyway, so this is John the Baptist, and he is the best witness ever. Um, and how, how do I know that? Well, you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you his whole biography. You know about John the Baptist, many of you. His birth was miraculous. His parents were too old to have a baby. It said he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from early on. He, he ate locusts and he wore camel, camel hair. And he was out in the, in the wilderness, out of the Jordan River, baptizing people, calling them to repentance. That's his biography in, in 20, 20 seconds. But what I'm interested in is the title that he gets in the Bible. So there, we, we've talked about, you know, what, what would you label different characters in the Bible? We were just in a series on Joshua. And it took till the last chapter till his death. But eventually, in that book, they, they call Joshua the servant of the Lord. And we talked about that. What a humble and yet awesome thing to be called. Joshua is a servant of the Lord. Moses, I would argue, had a, a little bit better title on him or a little bit better one line on him. At the end of his life, it says there was no one like Moses. He knew God face to face. Wouldn't that be awesome to have somebody say about you when you die? Nobody like him. He knew God. He was with God. He interacted with him. I would say David does him one better. David is called the man after God's own heart. What David wanted and was passionate about, God wanted and was passionate about. Isn't that an awesome title? So I'm ranking them here. Joshua's good. Moses is better. David's is great. This is what Jesus Christ said about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So the goat debate is over. Jesus settles it for us. He just said it. He just said, of everybody that's ever been born, now he's excluding himself there, we presume, anybody that's ever been born, John the Baptist was the best. No one is greater than him. Wouldn't that be cool to have Jesus say about you? Like you meet him and he's like, you're the best one we ever made. <laughs> Jeez, I'm just, a, I was a church planner in Ankeny. And, you know, I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> but he's not going to say that to me because he said it about John the Baptist. No one greater, no one greater than, than him. Why is that? We don't have near as many stories on John the Baptist as we do Moses and David. Uh, and not, not near as many hero stories. If, if you compare him to other major New Testament, we don't have as much on him as we do Joseph. Other major New Testament characters, it's not a ton. There's some. We know a little about John the Baptist. Here's why I think Christ calls him that. And it's part of da Vinci's painting. That man is always on the witness stand. Always. Go through, this would not take you long. Go through in any, any time in the four Gospels where John the Baptist is talking or is doing something. What is he talking or doing about? He is constantly, consistently, 
focus of his life, witnessing. He came as a witness. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness. John bore witness. This is the testimony of John. John bore witness. Um, he who is with you, to whom you bore witness. You yourself bear witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And then in John 5, this is a perfect picture of who John is. John the Baptist, that is. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You remember that? Jesus is the light, but, but witnesses carry the light. And when they describe, how would you describe John? A big old lamp. He was carrying the light. He was always a witness. He was always testifying about God. And so one, one of the interesting, it's a, it's, it's a little footnote, but it, it really is important. Um, when, when John the Baptist is talked about in John's gospel, John the Apostle's gospel, he is never called the Baptist. John does away with that title. He's essentially John the witness. That's how John the apostle would look at John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of, uh, of a woman. He was a witness. He was constantly, constantly pointing to Jesus and talking about him. And that's why he's such an important character. For 400 years, God was silent. He wasn't speaking to the prophets. He wasn't speaking to Israel. And then he shows up. And what's he do? He testifies. I know what I've seen. The Messiah is coming. You need to repent. You've got to change. He's going to forgive you. Why did he testify? Very simply, that all might believe through him. Why do you take the witness stand for a verdict, a decision? And that's what he's doing. He's talking to us about Jesus because he wants us to believe in Jesus. He wants us to make a decision. The, the decision is that the Jesus' death on the cross is not some historical story that, that, that you were implied on, on that day, that he died for your sins, that no matter what kind of darkness you're murking about in right now, that Jesus offers forgiveness through his death if you believe in him and follow him. That's what he's testifying to. Let me close with the last witness. And by last, I don't mean last ever, but last of the apostles, last of the 12, last of the eyewitnesses of Jesus. They actually saw him resurrected and all that. It's the apostle John, the author of John's gospel. So John the Baptist did not write the gospel of John. John the apostle wrote the, the gospel of John. And I'm bringing him in now, not only because he's the author, I've yet to really properly introduce you to him uh, in this sermon series, but also because um, his testimony and John the Baptist's testimony kind of form these bookends in, in, in the whole gospel. Well, why are we reading this book? What is the point of this book? I love it when a biblical author tells us why they're writing. Luke does it. Uh, Peter does it in Second. Peter. John does it again in 1 John. He writes to, um, so that people might know that they have salvation. Well, in, in this book, he's crystal clear. Why, why am I writing this book? So John testified, the Baptist testified so that all might believe through him. And at the very end of, the, of John, the apostles' gospel, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did he write the gospel, New City? So that you might believe. He is testifying so that you will make a verdict, make a decision, that you will believe and follow Jesus just like he did. So who is this guy? Who is John the Apostle? Um, now, he belongs to, I've got a kind of a young and old picture there of him, a uh, painting of him. He belongs to a couple of very exclusive clubs. So, okay, John the Baptist got the greatest title ever. He's the greatest man ever. We can all go home. That competition's over. 
John the Apostle is no slouch. He belongs to a couple of very exclusive uh, clubs, and he's, he's singular on a couple of things. So here's one uh, club that he belongs to. Jesus' inner three apostles. Jesus had 12 disciples, as you know, but there were three that he was the most close to, Peter, John, and James. And John is in that inner three. This is the group that goes up the mountain and sees Christ transformed in, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He also belongs to another exclusive club, major New Testament authors. Between Luke, John, and Paul, if we extracted their writings out of your New Testament, it would be like 18 pages long. It would not, it would not be a very big book. These three are the primary writers of the New Testament. Obviously, there were a couple other epistles and letters here and there, but he is one of the major authors uh, of the New Testament. He was also a pastor at the Church of Ephesus. That was kind of like the all-star pastor church. Timothy, John, and Paul all were pastors at that church. Can you imagine going to a church where that was, those were the pastors you went through? Ah, uh, yeah, Paul was okay, but I'm, I'm excited to hear what John the Apostle is preaching on today. Oh, it might be that time he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's also, John also belongs to some exclusive uh, clubs, uh, Club of One. He's the only apostle at the cross. He's the only apostle that we know for sure saw Jesus die. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was totally brave. He scattered like the rest of them. But by the time Jesus dies, he's at the cross. He's there. In fact, Jesus says something to him at the cross. I would also call John, uh, he's not the only person, but he would be the main one. He's the bridge between the time of the apostles, the 12 disciples, and also the early, the early church fathers. Um, so like uh, uh, Polycarp Ignatius, you might not know those names, but those are people that, that John was running with and discipling at the time uh, of his, up, up and through the time of his death. And those would be kind of that, that second class to take on and tackle the big theological issues of the church. Um, the other one that he belonged to uh, the exclusive club of one. It's the only apostle not martyred for his faith. Um, if you've never seen this, this isn't, these aren't all biblical. Some of this is church tradition. But to be a follower of Jesus and to be a witness of Jesus um, did not always end well for you. And especially back then, it almost certainly didn't end well. John uh, definitely had his share of struggles and pain, but he does not die a martyr's death. This might be a good point to, to bring up one other very, very simple truth. Witnessing does cost. Um, I, I doubt you'll suffer some of the things that the apostles did. But to go up and testify is for you to make a stand. It's for you to say, I'm either with Jesus or I'm not. I, I, I'm, either, I'm either going to confess my sins or I'm not. But how I want to end is, is, is this. Um, John has a title too in our Bible. And he's called the, the Son of Thunder. And that name sounds cool. <laughs> It was derogatory. It wasn't a good thing. In fact, um, we have little. We have. We don't have a ton on John the Baptist. We have even less on the Apostle John. I've. I've. I've kind of summarized them for you here. So the Apostle John would have been among the twelve when they're arguing who, which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom. He'd have been right in there, right? They're. They're. They're, they're arguing this while they're following Jesus. Is the irony here? But he. He. He was. He was an ambitious, proud young man. He asked, or he actually rather had his mom ask for him and his brother to have seats right next to Jesus in his kingdom, the right and the left. He didn't. He didn't bother to ask if he was qualified to have that seat. He just asked, "Can I have the most prominent seat in your kingdom?" Um, he one time he asked to annihilate the Samaritans. They didn't receive Jesus very well. We've talked about this story before. And John is the one that says, do you want us to call down fire on this village? Should we have Sodom and Gomorrah all over again? And of course, Jesus says, no. 
don't do that. Um, and then the one time, the, the, uh, John MacArthur found this little tidbit, and I thought it was really interesting. The only time in the narratives, in the gospel narratives, that John says something for himself, where he's not just part of the group, where he actually steps out and speaks, John the Apostle says something, is after, right after the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, there was a man that was healing, but he wasn't a part of the twelve. He wasn't with Jesus' group. And so John kind of half confesses. He says, well, we saw him healing people, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. There's your superstar right there. It's like, it's like no good John stories. He, he was just a proud dude. He, he, he was the son of thunder. That means he was hot-headed. He was angry and proud and ambitious. And that's his only quote. Well, we, we told him to stop. How in the world... Did that guy become what we now call, this is a common title that we give him in the church, the apostle of love. Do you know why we call him the apostle of love? In, in all his writings, he wrote five books in the New Testament. He uses the word love over 80 times. Um, many, of the, many of your concepts of love, God is love. God loves Jesus. Jesus loves God. Jesus loves the 12. The 12 love Jesus. We should love one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Other people wrote about that, but do you know who really wrote about that? John. John wrote so much about love. And in his gospel, this is kind of a sign of humility. He, he must have got humbled at some point because in his gospel, whenever he says the name John, he is not talking about himself. He's always talking about the Baptist. He only refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And I don't, that, that sounds proud, but I really think that says more about Jesus than about him. There's this humility that happens in this man's life. He's the only uh, biblical uh, gospel writer that gives us the great humble story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet on on the night that he was going to be betrayed. He doesn't even show up in his own gospel until chapter 13. When he wrote the story of Jesus, he was not the hero. So here's my question. How did the son of thunder the arrogant, ambitious, proud John, young John, become the apostle of love. You know how it happened? He witnessed something. He saw something. Something happened in between those two. Oftentimes in paintings, John either gets depicted really young or really old. The reason is because he's the last apostle to die. He lived a really long time. This book that we're reading was written in probably 80 AD. So this is well after Christ has been crucified. What, did, what happened between the son of thunder and the apostle of love? Jesus happened. He met Christ. You know what happened after he said some of those really stupid things? He, he evoked in Jesus one of the most famous things he ever said, which is the first shall be last and the last will be first. And then he grabbed a kid and he put him on his lap and he said, nobody comes to the kingdom unless he comes like a little child. He was preaching to John. And it changed him. John witnessed something. And he's writing this gospel because he wants to testify. John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit from the beginning. Let's say he's like a a person that gets saved very young in their life. John the Apostle didn't get it. He was walking with Christ and he didn't get it. He didn't understand. He was still proud. And then God changed him. And he saw the change, and he's testifying. He's saying, I am writing this so that you will believe. I'm on the stand. I'm siding with Jesus. He can change you. He has transformed me from a son of thunder to the apostle of love. 
You know what specifically transformed him? I, we don't get this. We, do, we don't have a diary where John says, and it was at this moment that I knew. But you know how he was the one apostle at the cross? Jesus looks at him at the cross. And Jesus only says seven things on the cross because he could barely breathe. He looks at John and he says, take care of my mother. He, so Jesus, as he's dying, thinks about what's going to happen to Mary, who's getting older, when he dies. And he turns to this arrogant son of a fisherman, uh, this, this proud young man, but he knows that he's going to change that he is witnessing right before him, up there on the cross, the means by which he's going to change. He's going to believe in that cross and he's going to be forgiven and he will be known, marked by his love. And he says, I would love for you to take care of my mother when I'm dead. That's what a witness does. They, they testify to what they have seen. So here's my, here's my last question for you. God sends people. Does that apply to you? Do you have first-hand knowledge of what Jesus can do in a person's life? You're not the light. You're not the word. You're a normal person. That's exactly how God does this. He brings up normal people to testify. Here's how you can do it. Just tell what you saw. Be a different person than the people who are around you and tell what you saw. We're all called to be witnesses. And also, by the way, here's the last note, I promise. We are all also, those who follow Jesus, those who look to the cross for forgiveness, we all can in good conscience say, we are the disciple, the follower that Jesus loved. Can you say that? Can you say that? Tell somebody. Testify. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the example, two examples of people who were constantly testifying, pointing to you. Lord, we get so fearful of how we'll be perceived. We don't want to be awkward. We don't want to be discriminated against. We would rather just keep to ourselves. But God, my prayer is that, that me, starting with me personally, but that everyone in this church who knows you, who's been at the cross, who's seen it, who's known the change that you can bring about, Lord, I pray you would give us a bold witness. Help us to testify. Like John, like the other John, help us to be a light for other people. We aren't the light, Lord, but we know we can carry it. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.